Welcome back to Autopsy of a Horror Movie. My name is Brucker, and I am joined with Orlean to discuss the Robert Zemeckis 1992 horror comedy that is Death Becomes Her. Hello, Orlean. How are you doing? Hello. I am oh, so happy I got to watch this movie last night again. <laughs> yes, and this is actually our first recording for the year 2023, so this is pretty exciting. Woohoo! Off to a great start. I feel like you and I went back and forth for a long time on what movie w- that we would be recording for today. I feel like it's it changed like a handful of times. It did. <laughs> and it's, that, that, that's the thing with us is that we, I feel like you and I very much go for like what we're in the mood for. And yeah, yeah and it changed like three or four times because we both were like, I don't, let, let's, let's, let's do something. So it's hard, it's hard to plan ahead because we never know what we're kind of <laughs> in the mood for to, to record for. But uh, I'm excited for Death Becomes Her. This is one that I lobbied for um, because, you know, I think it's kind of been overlooked. I, of course, it's a cult classic, but it should be so much more than that because it is so smart and funny and has a, a lot of horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of surprised, too, because this was the first time I've watched this movie. I think I've only had you and one other friend recommend this movie to me before. A long time ago, when I did get my HBO Max subscription, just kind of perusing through their catalog and everything, and the cover of this movie did catch my eye. It was a very much like a fun, nostalgic walking through Blockbuster, seeing what uh, movie covers get your attention. And I will say, uh, scrolling through HBO Max, this did get my attention. I added it to my queue, and it sat there for like a year and a half or something. <laughs> Then, of course, last night when I go looking for this, it's not on HBO Max anymore, so I had to rent it. But uh, it was very much worth the $3.99 in tax to to watch it. Um, I got to say, I agree with you. I think that this should be um, talked about a little bit more. And I'm surprised it's not just due to the cast alone. I mean, you know, Meryl Streep, Goldie Hawn, Bruce Willis, Isabel Rossellini. I mean, this was... Amazing cast. Very, very fun movie. And... Um, we were talking about this off mic. I've had a pretty intense week, so I didn't get to watch this uh, last night. But uh, I got up at 7 this morning, <laughs> made myself a cup of coffee, sat down on my couch with a blanket, my laptop. And at 7.30, I was watching this. And honestly, this was a great way to start my Sunday. It really was at 7.30 in the morning with a cup of coffee. This was a great way to ease into, ease into the day. Nice. I planned a whole movie night for myself last night I put it on my calendar earlier this week I was like gonna settle in get comfortable be ready and just enjoy this movie with no distractions and I honestly haven't rewatched it for a couple of years because yeah I didn't know where it was streaming I don't have it on is there even a DVD of it I don't know yes because Scream Factory came out with a Blu-ray transfer of it Oh, amazing. Okay, I might need that just so I don't lose it again because it's so good. It's so good. I have, I mean, it's just almost like my perfect movie and I don't know if that's because I saw it really young or if it's just like a perfect horror comedy. I did want to kind of poke your brain a little bit about that, but beforehand I wanted to say, you know, we were kind of talking about the accolades of this. You know, we mentioned the cast but also the things around it too i mean this was directed by robert zemeckis you know who a lot of people love him you know back to the future fame Mm -hmm. 
This was written by David Coop and Martin Donovan, who I don't think Martin Donovan did too much after this. But David Coop, I mean, he has written and co-written several movies, including like Jurassic Park. Co-wrote that movie. Um, oh wow! He also did uh, lots of other blockbusters, and this movie was has blockbuster status too. I mean, it made ninety point six million dollars at the box office. Um, and especially in the 90s, that's, that's, that's a lot of money. And it won an Oscar, too, for Best Visual Effects. Very earned. I mean, this movie looks better than some movies out of the 2000s. Yeah, absolutely. And it's because they did that thing of blending practical with mm-hmm. uh, like digital and, and other visual effects. And like, they did the best they could to like, kind of like blend them together. And it works very well. And... Uh, I, I was surprised at how much I ended up enjoying this. And I will say that I was kind of concerned for the first hour <laughs> about what all we, because the first hour I was like, I, I'm seeing everything. Like I'm the liking melodrama. it everything. It's a melodrama. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like, like, okay, I'm waiting for the horror stuff to come in. That's not just like these people kind of like, arguing and like having like these vendettas against each other and everything and it's like that like the hour mark is when we kind of start to get some like the fantasy supernatural stuff in this and then it full just goes straight into horror uh, for like the last 45 minutes of the movie um but you brought it up and that you know that you saw this at i guess like an early age and i saw you post on instagram that this movie was a uh, foundational for you. So, so could you talk a little bit about that? When, when did you first see this and what about it uh, made such an Im- impression on you? Yeah, great question. I don't remember a time when I hadn't seen this movie. That's like how old this movie is for me, which sounds really weird. It's PG-13 and it came out when I was five. So... I don't really understand what happened, but I do remember my mom showing me this movie. It's so funny thinking back, like she didn't want me to watch The Simpsons, but this was fine. <laughs> hey, you know what? I totally get that. My dad let me watch like all like the Schwarzenegger movies when I was a kid, and I guarantee oh you, God. I was the only kid in preschool whose favorite movie was Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So <laughs> We, we we very much inherit uh, whether genetically or just through um, <laughs> them them showing us the movies that they like. Uh, we definitely do inherit some of their uh, film taste. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This I just remember being part of the cluster of like Death Becomes Her, Grease, and Sound of Music as like my mom imparting foundational cultural movies to me. <laughs> wow, what a wow! What what banner movies? Okay, I love it. Right. Um, frankly, this one should be a blockbuster. It should be talked about. It We should have screenings of it. It's amazing. I don't know why it's not like our sound of music for horror, where it's just like, it. there are so many good lines. There are so many good scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the play on words was, was very good in this. Oh, my gosh. And I love the whole vibe i wrote down like the setting the intro music the shots of quote-unquote new york which felt a little gothamy like it Mm. just feels like this glam gothic camp yeah yeah it felt uh, yeah it kind of felt like this gothic like art deco kind of feel to it um and i was kind of surprised by that because i do love like the opening of this we get like the 
we don't even have the title card yet. Is I believe it just says a Broadway 1978, and yeah. kind of like you said, we kind of get this um, skyline of New York, I, I, I presume. And oh yeah, because it's Broadway, and it's raining, and kind of hearing this very like swanky music and everything. It's a uh, I was like, all right, I'm so here for the vibe that this movie has. Yeah, I love the lighting choices. They're very intentional throughout the whole movie, and it just adds to the feeling of like shadows and light and that kind of like gothic feel of um like very particular lights on eyes and body parts and places like oh i just i love the whole feel of it which i think it's definitely chicken or egg like did i love stuff like this or did i see this and tim burton movies young enough that i was just like this is my vibe <laughs> See, it, the lighting that you talked about, it reminded me a lot of the 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 Adam the Adam family. Adams Jesus. It reminded me a lot of the Adams family's movies that uh, that came out around yeah. this time too. I believe like 91, I think. Very similar vibes to those movies where it's like campy but it's serious enough that it's not silly and the the lighting that you brought up too they do the same thing that they do in morticia in those movies where like light is always hitting meryl streep's oh eyes God. in this yes mm-hmm. that's such a good point um yeah there i think i don't know if that was just like a thread of the time like something that was becoming cool and then kind of disappeared but i love it mm-hmm. yeah no I, I liked it too and Bruce Willis in this was, like, I don't know. It was just so funny. First off, I was like, whoa, Bruce Willis with a full head of hair. Whoa. Oh, my God. I've never said before, like, Bruce Willis was so amazing in this. <laughs> <laughs> but he is. He is. He is. He was. Um, I definitely saw him as kind of like the comedic. Re- I mean, like, a lot of this movie is comedic, but I saw him as even more of like a comedic relief in certain mm-hmm. uh, aspects of this because there's a lot of points to this movie where he's running around doing like these crazy things but like like when he's painting Meryl Streep I just love he's wearing an apron that says kiss the chef I don't know it is fucking funny (laughs) it's really I mean so I have a lot a lot a lot of favorite scenes that we can talk about as we go through it but before we get into it can we talk about that cover I love the cover Mm -hmm. with the Meryl Streep's head twisted backwards and then the hole in the abdomen for um uh, yeah. for for Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Yeah, Bruce Willis is holding like the candelabra through her stomach. Mhm. <laughs> Love it. The art is so good. Start starting off with the subgenre categorization of this movie. Yeah. So, I wrote down a couple things. Um I think I'm torn between like obsession and body horror. Oh, okay. So, so going ahead and skipping like the obvious, it's horror comedy, but like getting to more specific nitty gritty. Okay. Yeah. Like it's horror comedy, of course, but the way you were talking about like the first hour, it's really about obsession and not being able to move on from things. Like, oh, that's a great point. One of my favorite scenes is when uh, Helen is in group therapy, the circle of therapy, and she's like, I want to talk about Madeline. And everyone starts screaming and like freaking out. It's so funny. 
and it's also very dated too a little bit by like you know like our ideas of like body image and and everything when even the therapist says like you have to get over this you haven't even lost a pound and all this stuff <laughs> oh my god the way <laughs> yes i love how it is also a full skewering of like anti-aging diet culture this obsession with losing weight and never aging a day and reversing aging like it feels so topical because this has been happening forever but we're in like a plastic surgery craze right now and anti-aging is literally everywhere like I have a note later that when Isabella Rossellini is making her pitch, like it sounds like an Olay commercial. <laughs> that's that's really interesting that that it sounds like an Olay commercial. I actually kind of think that's I almost almost wonder if that's pur- purposeful. That'd be kind of that'd be a very interesting kind of like research mm-hmm. project to do is to study the ads at the time and see how much of her demeanor and everything mm-hmm. if it does mimic those at all. Yeah, because it definitely does now. And it's interesting how like that, the everything you just talked about like the body image and like the beauty and aging and everything. It's um, I was going to get into this uh, in the next segment, but it's very specific to like the female characters of this movie, where yeah. Bruce Willis's character uh, Ernest Ernest Menville, um, he is very much concerned with his career and how he can't he's not practicing much anymore and things like that so it it was interesting and probably purposeful about how that was very much kind of like focused on most of the women in the movie yes although when we get to the party at the end i have a lot of notes on um there's a lot of men and it's funny how they have some like mr x like they'll show us one famous person we know but then there are like four others in the background that we need to spot. Um, also, yeah, we'll get to Bruce Willis when he gets to like his central question of like, does he want to live forever or not? But interestingly, like his career is tied into that stuff too, and he turns his back on that. And I think it's just an interesting, like, arguably Bruce Willis's character has some progression and learning, and is the only one. Right. Yeah. Well, does he have? Does he? progress or does he just does he just reject things in the movie but i don't know if it's like progression i don't know i don't know like i'm like how much of an arc he has well i think it is progression previously we we open the movie with he sees madeline and the next thing we know they're getting married he's impulsive he's obsessed with beauty he's obsessed with visuals he's a plastic surgeon like He's not like a cardiologist when we start. He's a plastic surgeon. So like he was always obsessed with looks. And I think that's how we see the growth is he sees like what does it take to keep your looks or like how far will some people go to do it and is it worth it? Yeah, yeah. That that is that's actually a really good point too about that and it like him being the plastic surgeon and him being kind of like i guess obsessed with beauty so much that he even made it his career to fix it right Um, and because i kind of like looked at it as him just being very easily manipulated uh too by these characters and you can say at the end that he kind of decides to stop being manipulated but uh 
it's... Yeah, I mean, the way he doesn't let Isabella Rossellini manipulate him, the way she did the two women, I think does show growth. Okay, no, I, I think that's actually a very fair point. Well, we'll get there. <laughs> um, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you you kind of talked about the the possession and everything of this, which I really like. I definitely want to talk about more about the possession this in this movie, but in uh, the subgenre stuff, I had uh, I like to kind of reference other movies to say like you know kind of like what mm-hmm. this made me feel like and like while I was watching and. I think like kind of like some of the obvious uh, comparisons, like Frankenstein too, just for like the pure mm-hmm. horror part of it. But I was, it felt much more like a reanimator, like kind of like a more like female centric reanimator movie. Um, mm-hmm. Especially even with the, you know, we have like the pink serum and it's green and reanimator, and it's uh, not we're not bringing people back from the dead, but we're stopping people from dying, um, and how that still turns them the monsters too and everything um it was, it was i was kind of getting a lot of like those vibes too and it but with and there there's also like a uh, a frankenstein uh callback in this too which i i just loved when um when uh helen says that uh, uh it's alive when, <laughs> when she sees how uh how madeline is kind of like the undead in this when, when that yeah. reveal happens to her that was that was a fun uh callback although yeah i do love in the in like the second scene after Ernest and and madeline get married and it cuts to their current life and he goes is it up yet <laughs> i just i it's one of my, he says it so perfectly and you just like get the vibe yeah it's it's very good and also their their housemaid also says that too she, she calls her in it as well <laughs> There's also like ambition tied into here pretty pretty clearly because these women don't just want to live forever to be beautiful. Like hmm. um Helen writes a major book and like becomes famous. Um uh, Madeline wants to keep acting forever. Like they want to do things with their careers still. They don't just want to sit around and be beautiful. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because that is the Rossellini character says about how, you know, you have like 10 years max and then you yeah. have to exit the spotlight. And they have at the party, they have the whole thing about like somebody made headlines, you know, that's a no, no, you got to <laughs> stop it. <laughs> yeah, I love that it, the movie isn't just this like small focus on the core group like you think it is for most of it. But then with the party you and like the the other parts of the mansion and you're like oh there's something like old here this is this has been going on for a long time does does that kind of like play into like the subgenre of like like cult stuff like getting into like yeah, you know, like culty think so. things yeah it, it's it's very culty mm-hmm. it, it made me think a lot about like the movie society and um uh, interview with the vampire a little bit too mm-hmm. how like there's kind of like this secret underground like old uh-huh. yeah yeah elitist sort of uh group of people that are like running things absolutely and yeah it made me think that think of that too where you're just like oh isabella rossellini is just like one crossroads demon like one salesperson could could you like imagine like today like a like a like a very like zealous like republican watching this movie and being like yeah like QAnon is real like and all like. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, I could have absolutely like this is the next lizard people, like I, Hollywood zombies or something. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I also <clears throat> I do want to talk about the fact that I'm pretty sure Isabella Rossellini is alive, and part of the horror of this movie is that our two idiots die right away. Like they drink the potion and then they die. <laughs> But the thing is, I almost like wonder if it's the this elitist group. I don't know what to call them, but like this this uh, special group. If it's almost kind of like their form of entertainment, be like, let's give it to two imbeciles and just watch them like destroy themselves. I don't know. I mean, because like, you know, if if you live forever, you need some form of entertainment, and <laughs> I feel like that like this is kind of like how you do it. I don't know. I think it was like fully unintentional because she was like, hey. I have the thing you need. It costs apparently like your life, all your money, but it's worth it. And then what keeps both of them from being able to fully take advantage of it is this obsession with each other and winning. Like Helen writes this book. She's being lauded at this book party. Everyone's in love with her. And she throws this all away for like this obsession with ruining Ernest and Madeline. Well, I think that, I mean, I, so I don't, so I know that you kind of talked about their, you know, now they could like continue their careers forever and always like be like these youthful actors or, you know, these people like writing books and everything. But mm -hmm. I, for at least Helen's story, I took it as like, she didn't really care about headlines or anything. She very much had a vendetta and she only wrote the book just to get back in the spotlight. So that way she's back in the same circles as those people, as uh, Madeline and Oh, I Ernest. agree. It's just, it's such a waste of what she got. It, it is, but to her, like that, because you, we see how like methodical she has thought out the murder. <laughs> I know. And so like, like all of know. this is her plan, of course, which I know, I know you know that, but I, I, I think that she l legit doesn't care about the career aspect of everything. Like you're saying, that is such a waste. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what's I mean, that saying? Yeah. Like the, the, what was that saying? Like, like youth is wasted on the young or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is true. It, it's a true saying. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think, I mean, from the very first shots, we're with Helen and we see the obsession building. And honestly, I think if someone were to say like, what scene do you most remember from this? It would be her hands twisting the tissue mm. until she bleeds mm -hmm. like for all the melodrama like that's not normal melodrama that's when you get a signal that like something is wrong here like this is not normal people don't do that <laughs> well to me it was when she was uh, watching madeline's movie and she was getting murdered and she just kept oh my rewinding god oh, rewinding it over and over yeah. again like this movie is genuinely funny in a way that i feel like Modern horror comedies rarely make me laugh and unnerve me. Like, this actually made me laugh and smile it constantly. Yeah, no, it was... It, <laughs> there's lots of good jokes in this and everything, and lots of, like, very funny situations. And I... Meryl Streep was, was very funny in this, too. Like, her yeah. her delivery and timing on so many things were so good, especially when she's... Uh, 
meeting uh, Rosalini's character to get to see him and everything. Like the whole like now you tell me now you warn me after she's she's uh, oh my gosh, drinking I it know. already. It's, it's so good. They really played up the the comedy of those jokes. Like they let it have like a full scene instead of just trying to rush through. Um, I I really like that. Mm-hmm. Also, can we talk about Isabella Rossellini and this whole like creepy mansion? Oh yeah, this very gothic Art Deco I, mansion. Yes, it's this like at first I was like it's gothic, and then I was like no, it's more modern. No, it's Art Deco. No, it's like it's just this elaborate, strange, creepy mansion of secrets mm-hmm, and half dressed mm-hmm. men. <laughs> and Dobermans, yeah, Dobermans that can operate yeah. the elevators. Yeah, oh, which it's... just clicked with me. That's why there's foot pedals to operate the 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 elevator for oh, the dogs. Oh my gosh, that yeah. just clicked with me. What a weird, weird place. <laughs> I mean, I love it, but also there's just like various couches for Isabella to like lounge on sexily, like everywhere she goes. Yeah, just really strange. We never really get any backstory to it, which I like. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we know that she's 70 years old, so she is old, older. I mean, but she I... says. <laughs> we don't know for sure. Well, I do like that the house c- could, you could kind of see how, like, it could have been designed by somebody who was, like, maybe a little bit older. Because, like, even, like, the car outside is, like, that very old, uh, I don't want to say very old, but kind of like that older, like, 1930s and 40s, like, l- luxury car with, like, the suicide doors. and. Yeah. The, so you kind of see like this is coming from the taste of a person from that time period. Well, that's just that first floor. Because then when we go upstairs, it's all this like old stone and oh, true. Like, gargoyles and stuff. And you're like, what is going on here? So it seems like very old. It's very old. And uh, the we're kind of like talking a lot about production design, but uh, with like the gothic feel and there's also like a lot of like christianity in this too with the you have like the yeah, like that the stained, glass. stained glass and also how the serum itself is contained within this box with like lots of crosses on it and it's mm. even in this egg with crosses all over it. and i find it like very clever that it's the yolk of the egg um mm-hmm. and there's uh oh shoot i kind of like wrote this down but like i just found it like very interesting about the subtle ties that they were kind of having to Christianity, like like the like the notion of like internal life and what does that actually mm-hmm. mean. And they kind of like talk about that at the end during um Ernest's funeral and everything. But uh, I just I, I found it um just kind of oh I wasn't expecting to see that in the movie. But I found that interesting. And they there's also like this whole uh tying back to Christianity, the whole idea of how now Basically, Helen and Madeline are now kind of damned to tor- torment each other mm-hmm. because of their choices for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I love that. I that's. I mean, it feels weird. This is just going to be like insert a clip of me saying it's about female friendship. Um, but like, <laughs> it is though. It is, and it's about how like they're not really friends, but because of their like mutual obsession and frenemyship. They just keep going around and around in this like eternal battle mm-hmm. where neither of them wins. Um, I did want to say on the on like the Christian references, when Ernest goes down to the morgue and he passes those three crying nuns. But and they, they're, just floating? Like, they're floating. I loved it. That was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
it's it's very just, good. It's just such a nice touch that like if it wasn't there, you wouldn't miss it. But you're like, that's that's nice. I like it. Mm-hmm. Which also makes me think now reminds me of the design of the morgue as well, because the morgue is even like this very Art Deco thing, yes, and the hospital is. is too, and it's, it's very much just like there. And I have like a theory about all of this, about how like you know, it's all one society within itself and everything, and that's why these people Ooh. keep going after doctors to give them the serum as well. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, so far for subgenre, obviously horror comedy is the big umbrella of this, but we got Possession, kind of had like Frankenstein animator society vibes in this as well. Um, anything else I was missing? Um, obsession. Obsession. Anti-aging. And then I think also loneliness. I think really? loneliness is a subgenre in horror. Okay. Like I think it... It leads to a lot of situations. It pushes people to do things. Um, yeah, because hmm. I think that is actually part of why these two stay locked in their struggle, because it's better than each of them being alone and having to figure out what to do with their lives. So I think I think loneliness and like obviously, I actually don't know if the top subgenre would be comedy horror or body horror like where do you see the line there body horror is definitely in this so i think it's kind of like that's like the next level down on the okay. on the pyramid as it's getting to its point so it's like comedy horror funny body horror <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> because b- body horror is also more specific than just horror right the body horror in this is pretty good Without being like disgusting, it's Oscar worthy. Yes, yeah, it's. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Like, I love how like Helen having a hole through her stomach doesn't make sense, and we don't care. We just go with it. Like, right. where's her spine? Who cares? It's magic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or I mean, demon energy. Like, there is definitely a part of me. I it doesn't really come in in the beginning when Isabella is pitching Helen and Madeline but when she is trying to pitch Ernest I was like she looks like a demon like I don't know if that's intentional or if it's just like a really hard sell or like but to me like she really was pulling out all the stops to sell him yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like playing to that line of demon. It, it definitely felt very much like a succubus kind of thing because like she's using like her own mm-hmm. kind of like vanity to try to like seduce him into this, which like he has a track record of that working for him. So right. um, it, it makes sense that that something like that would have happened. And I love how she is. She's almost she's like offended that it didn't work because yeah. she's like, I have dedicated my eternal soul to my beauty and it's not like convincing you (laughs) (laughs) he's like you 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 aging schmuck it's not working on you yeah she (laughs) it's so funny because um that's exactly what it feels like and also i looked up their ages because i remember when i first or sometimes seeing this movie my mom was like isabella rossellini is one of the most beautiful women in the world and you know you hear stuff like that when you're young and you're like okay that's a fact (laughs) Um, so like, that's always been in my head of like, she's one of the most beautiful women in the world. Um, she's 
only 40 when she's playing this role. That is shocking. Not going to lie. So, like, I used to think, like, oh, she looks great for her age. No, she just looks great. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and then Bruce Willis is only 37. Like, if you can believe it, Goldie Hawn is the oldest of all of them. And she looks knockout amazing. Mm -hmm, And she's mm -hmm. 47. She actually is like, wow. Whoa, that's interesting because they kind of say that in the movie too. Because they're because t- when she has her book, Meryl Streep lets them know she goes, she's actually fifty, and they're like, "Wow, she great. Looks great for 50. She really, I mean, Goldie Hawn is wow, so beautiful. They mm-hmm. really like turn up everything: the hair, the makeup, the body. Like, she's like a Jessica Rabbit in real life. <laughs> oh yeah and she very much is like you know that that very bright vi- vibrant red dress like the whole movie or for the a lot of the lipstick, movie the red hair mm-hmm. yeah B- very passionate colors too yeah yeah um i also want to talk about the costumes at some point i don't know when <laughs> okay yeah well let's get into that a little bit later because i think that okay. uh i think we got to get into the fear analysis right now okay Okay, so getting into the fear analysis of Death Becomes Her, there are, according to Dr. Carl Albrecht, five types of fears that humans share psychologically, and those fears are the fear of death, mutilation, body invasion, loss of autonomy, separation, abandonment, or rejection, and finally, humiliation, shame, worthlessness, i.e. the death of ego. And I think that this movie presents some other stuff uh, besides what's on this list, but there's also a lot Mm -hmm. of things that are related to this. And we can't, I kind of mentioned it earlier. It feels like that the, uh, the, the, the different sexes in this movie kind of have some diff- different stemming fears in this and everything. Because um, there's definitely kind of like that at the, at the front of this movie, you know, that fear of aging and losing beauty and becoming mm-hmm. out of the spotlight and, and things like that. Um, but uh, I guess I'll have you kind of start up. What kinds of types of fears were you getting from this movie? I think absolutely fear of rejection for all the characters, actually. Mm-hmm. Like, they are all insecure, passive-aggressive, like, squirrely people, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't trust any of these people, and they don't trust each other, but they are also, like, clinging to each other because they don't want to be alone or rejected. And But it's also kind of interesting that, like, yes, like, there's kind of, like, this fear of, rejection and everything but they kind of like find this sort of like society that like they, they kind of like take themselves in there not like our characters here but like the the the, pe- the people already in the group are kind of like they've like rejected the rest of the world have like decided to just like include themselves in this which is kind of interesting that's true also it's interesting that by the end of the movie even though like there is this society there is there are these parties that isabella hosts um, it appears that our main two are on their own. And maybe because they're the only dead ones. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I don't think that they like care. For, I mean, they probably don't care for anything. But like, I seriously think they just gave them the serum for their own entertainment because they knew <laughs> that they would fuck it up. You think at the next year's party, they were like, and let's go to the photos. <laughs> <laughs> 
oh my god possibly yeah and then and then they're they're showing like all like the damage that they've caused to the house too they become like the psa like after school special take care of your bodies or else this is why we have protocols people yes um, i mean literally it's it's the way their skin like peels off and like they don't even care about their skin peeling off they only care about like what it means larger they're not actually like oh my god what a horror they're just like oh put it back yeah i'm very excited to to get into that when we get to the messaging of this um because i have some <laughs> thoughts about just the visual storytelling in this which was so good yeah i think it it speaks to like a level of being so disconnected from your body actually mm. that like you don't see it as like your body you see it as like an object that you like polish oh that's that's very good yes it, it's like the complete they have objectified themselves now Yes, absolutely. They are literally objects that they spray paint and lacquer and like glue together. One of the main things I was getting from this, I know that we talked about body horror and we'll get to like the mutilation and body invasion and all that in this, but the the loss of autonomy, I think was kind of like one of like the biggest things Mm -hmm. I was getting from this outside of the fear of aging and losing beauty. And we're really getting the autonomy, in my opinion, from uh, Ernest uh, Menville um, for... Actually, I think like a lot of almost all of the men in this movie are like loss of autonomy um, because mm-hmm. we see how manipulate how how easily he can be manipulated, which is kind of like his own fault, too, because of like how much he cares about beauty um, in his partners. Sure, but they're also kind of evil. So, yes, they are. And that was the question I have <laughs> later. But uh, so their whole thing like because you know their whole goal for the third act of the movie is to get him to live forever so that way he could just take care of them and right. we also see how um rosalini's character she has like these male servants and we also see all these other men but they're like older men at the party too and everything and mm-hmm. with how Art Deco, the hospital looks just a lot like her mansion and everything it's making me think like how is this is this like a female ran society and are they kind of just picking out men to kind of like be their servants to like help piece them back together every time they sort of like have a blemish or like break themselves or something because like if that's what it feels like it feels like very like kind of like egyptian a little bit uh, with that but everybody isn't dead that's i think the important part like only our two are dead that we know of though but the thing is, like right. they, but they know that that is a possible consequence. So that's like why they. My my, my theory is that like, that's like they kind of have these men in there as precautions to take care of them. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. I was, I was thinking a similar thing, but I put the power in a different place. Instead of like a society of women, I was thinking more. This is like an MLM. And those particularly multi-level marketing schemes like LuLaRoe, like those candle jewels, like mm-hmm. the diet drinks or whatever, like um, the tummy tea, like they're all MLMs that purport to give women agency, but actually end up trapping them. And like, it's actually a scam. And so I see this as like, similarly, it's actually a scam because you can't live forever. 
in just like on the very little literal sense too they also have to give like all their money too. all their money yeah which is again very similar like you buy your way into an mlm and then you are trapped by your debt interesting okay i like that take and so it feels kind of similar in that like well who are you going to target you're going to target women who are craving and obsessing about beauty which makes sense why they kind of have like these uh like operators whatever like kind of like at these yeah. blood youth clinics what the hell was that that she <laughs> went to that looked very okay. illegal <laughs> it's super not illegal like that that guy was having his like blood recycled which i'm pretty sure is a top anti-aging theory at this point that like some mm -hmm. rich people are doing like if you recycle like cycle young blood into your system there is a theory that it keeps you young and so i guarantee there are some rich culty people out there who are doing stuff like this it's like people watch dracula and went that's a great idea i mean these ideas have been around for a long time bathing in blood recycling blood getting new blood like it's they aren't vampires, but the way that that stuff kind of like thematically comes in is interesting. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. I like that. I think that's a very, very cool take on that. And it's terrifying. <laughs> it's terrifying. Like it's very gross and unsettling, but we're approaching more and more a future where we talk about things like this too. The the loss of autonomy is what got us here to with that, and kind of like, that also very much tied into like the, the the loss of beauty and aging and everything. Mm -hmm. Um, did I guess you know, we've kind of mentioned it a couple of times, but the the body horror that's in this, um, it's so good, and it did like it, it like it did creep me out a little bit. It was, it was mostly like the vertebrae sticking out of her oh. neck. Oh my Ugh. god, yeah. Uh, but it was also like my favorite scene in the movie too when when he takes her to the hospital and, and he's in the exam room with the doctor and oh like this gosh. whole thing the, the the whole hospital scene is fucking gold i was so i was like funny. laughing very hard at a lot of this and the doctor touching touching the vertebrae getting freaked out and uh, he's like, how is this possible? I love that Bruce Willis goes, uh, she's in shock, treat her for shock. <laughs> 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 and then we get this, uh, last thing I'll say, but uh, we get this amazing line where he goes back to the exam room and like, where is she? He goes, I'm sorry, she passed. She's, she's down in the morgue. He goes, the morgue? She'll really be so, so mad. It's so great. Oh my god, I I loved it. I thought that was so funny. Um, and also, at one point during that, the um, so Ernest takes a shot out of the flask, and the doctor is like, "Can I? Can I have one?" And he takes a shot out. It really good. It's 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 so good. <laughs> and just the idea of the doctor be like, "I'm going to get a second opinion on this person being dead." <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's so. <clears throat> there is an interesting modern reference. To that neck vertebrae thing. I don't know if you watched the Netflix show Shadow and Bone. Mm -mm. I've never even heard of that. At one point, one character takes like a the antler of a magic stag and like runs it through another character's neck, like like that. Mm -hmm. Um, to like give her magic or something. I didn't read the books. Um, but it just reminded me of the of a similar it looks so much the same. It's like semi sticking out and there's like skin that's not totally on it. Anyway, 
great visual effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess it, it made because you you talk about a modern comp. It made me think a lot about the 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 first one of the first deaths in the new Halloween movie, Halloween twenty eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. People know what I'm talking about. There's like a there's this kind of pedestrian that that Michael kills, and we see that like his neck is all like fucked up from it. Um, that's what that made me think of too. But oof. Um, and it's it's also very unsettling just seeing how calm Meryl Streep is being though during all of this. <laughs> so yeah, well, what the, or she's like, what is what are these bones? I don't know. Like, just put them back. I mean, I I don't think anyone would really accept like, oh, I'm dead, but I'm up and walking around. Like, I'm obviously not dead. What are you talking about? Like, I'm here. Yeah. Like you wouldn't accept it. You'd be like, I'm not dead. Mm-hmm. I'm here. Um, and even when like she has no heartbeat, which opens up all kinds of questions to where you're like, what is the science of this? And then you're like, no, stop. Don't yeah. ask that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It, like, it, it, it doesn't matter. It's magic. It's literally a magic tonic is what they call it. It's, it's so magic because like Meryl Streep's like twisted um, neck death is like really horrifying and gross. Like she falls down so many stairs. Yes, but it's also like comedic. I uh, like how long we watch it go for. Like it's like go. She's going down it's the stairs so for a long time. It's so many stairs that you're like, oh my god. Yes, it's actually kind of. It, I thought it was actually very intentionally funny about like how how long it was and how much they kept so looping it. Yeah. But then when the 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 brilliant framing with the way they like focus on Ernest making the call, but then the, her body is like standing up and fumbling around like behind him is so smart. But it's also really creepy because imagine that coming up behind you. Yeah, no, that was honestly one of the That's most so uh, scary. scary. That's one of the scariest things from this movie. And I thought that like, and it was crazy too, because like at this point in the movie, I think we're like an hour in, like 59 minutes in or something mm-hmm. like that. I was so shocked at like, okay, where's, is this now going to turn into them trying to get away with it and her enacting revenge the whole movie? But then like, it just keeps twisting much like her neck. It just keeps like twisting on what like the next goal is. (laughs) Yeah. You really, it's not predictable with the actions that are going to happen. You're just like, oh, oh, like even though throughout the movie, the gun cabinet is in the background of so many scenes. Like this movie is obsessed with guns in the background. It's so interesting once you start noticing really? it and it's in multiple rooms that they have like guns on the wall, guns in cabinets, gun art. And you're just like, so guns are going to play a part, but actually they play a small part. And it's only when crazy ass dead Meryl Streep is like, I'm just going to shotgun this person in the fucking stomach. Yeah, she goes full Linda Hamilton. It's great. She goes, like, you don't just do that. (laughs) And honestly, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, oh, that was murder. That was a straight up murder. And that's what Ernest is like, too. He's like, oh, my God, we've crossed into murder. This is murder. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a body bleeding out into our fountain. Yes. And can I say, when, when Helen does come back to life and she's, like, walking around and everything, her... They must have given her like different contact lenses or something because her eyes are terrifying. Oh, yeah. The like icy zombie blue. Yeah. Those are like her dead eyes. And then later on, they're talking about like he paints their eye. Again, don't think too hard about the science. (laughs) 
he like paints their eyes back to normal and you're like but why and what about the water that would be in your eye and you're like you know what it's fine yeah it doesn't matter but the yeah the shot of her with that like wet straggly hair and those icy blue eyes and a hole through her and you're just like demon I love this where you always go. I'm just like, it's a monster, but I love that you always go I straight to demon. I watched a lot of years of Supernatural, and like every bad person on that show is a demon. Mm. And so you're just like, demon. <laughs> or Lean, the person who cried demon. Um, <laughs> I'm ready for the next uh, satanic panic. Demon. That, that, that should be the title of your autobiography. Um, demon. Yeah. <laughs> with the exclamation point. And like, yes, and you just pointing at, at, at the reader, yeah. Um. So what, what were some of your, like, because I know we talked about, like, a lot of scenes and everything. What were some of the scenes that you found? to either be especially scary or especially funny because I think that it would be fun to talk about both the ones that are scary and funny for a horror comedy. Okay, so especially funny is early on when Bruce Willis is at the bar and he's talking about how you spray paint flesh to get it to stick to that woman who's like, oh, you did my aunt. And he talks for so long and you know it's going to cut back horrified and it's still so funny when it does. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> He's just going, he's just talking shop about painting dead bodies. Yeah. It's so funny because you know, as you're watching it, you're like, don't do that. Why are you doing this? Don't do this. Mm-hmm. Also, like, imagine like how much of a horrific turn of your life that would be for Bruce Willis. Besides like all the stuff that happens in the movie being like, you know, from being a plastic surgeon, like, you know, whether it was for vanity or what, whatnot, helping people feel better about themselves to just working with corpses. I mean, he helps some people feel better. He, he helped he helped the living feel better i guess for them yeah. but uh it's still also, you're, you're working with corpses that's such a twist okay yeah but like he sucks i don't want him as my plastic surgeon i don't like him i don't like his personality i don't like his vibe you know that's a good point we need to see like the type of work that he's been able to produce there should have been like a line like oh you did so and so's great work you know or right. whatever especially because he was dating Helen at the time who had had no visible work done and so you're also like oh okay so he's just some random like plastic surgeon whatever it's not like he's a surgeon to the stars Mm -hmm, Um, exactly so yeah uh, that was just it's I again I can't believe I'm saying it but like Bruce Willis is so funny and weird and nerdy and like he just hits the right notes in this movie and him, him just drink constantly drinking in this movie is also like kind Wouldn't of like you? that part yeah, feels real. It does, <laughs> but it's also like kind of funny too how he's just drunk throughout this whole movie. That seems like the most rational response to like my i I tried to kill my wife. She's still here. My ex is also dead, but they both want me to paint them, <laughs> and they're both still bullying me. Yeah. Now, like, now, that you, now that you paint bully. it like that, that is, it's pretty funny. <laughs> like, imagine trying to do that sober. No. No. 
And I love, oh my God. Okay, we're talking about like shit that's funny. I love when he's painting Meryl Streep and like you don't, he's like painting what, like her eye or something. He's like, okay, don't move. And she moves. He's like, God damn it. And he's like, it's all fucked up now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Gotta just, get more turpentine. It, it feels, his his whole character is the one that feels so grounded in some kind of reality where he's like trying to make it work and goes back and forth between like horrified and sad and numb and drunk. And you're just like, okay, I see it. Um, I also love, I think this was especially funny. I don't know if you noticed. Um, when Ernest calls her after he kills um, Madeline, her shirt says, just do it. Mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. later when Madeline says to him, fix my neck, she screams, just do it. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I was like, those two are peas in a pod. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yes. 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 Yes, they are. And that's definitely something I want to talk about in in, in, a, in the next segment. But um, yeah, it's the, the, there's a lot of funny editing jokes with it, like what you just described, too. <laughs> yeah it's just like there's a lot of little things that they didn't have to set up that just add to the humor and the story to where you're like yeah these people are crazy <laughs> yeah fucking fucking rich people um fucking, that's that could be the tagline for this movie <laughs> yes she did have a very funny line of uh because he's worried about the neighbors hearing the gunshot she goes it's la have you ever seen a neighbor <laughs> But also, like, I love how there's no police in this movie. Like, that's maybe one of the funniest parts. Oh, yeah. It's like throughout everything. And it probably is because they're rich and famous and they live in L.A. Um, But yeah, there's they don't get questioned. Nobody comes to ask about the gunshot. Nobody's like suspicious activity reported. Like, they just get to have these crazy adventures. (laughs) I mean, it feels realistic. At no point was I like, there'd be police here. Because mm-hmm. it felt like, yeah, you live in mansions and who knows who's paying attention or who cares. Plus, maybe once you enter the cult, they also are like, hey, don't mess with these people. Who knows? I also want to mention during the party. So they distract us with Elvis, but in the scene before that, I was like, is that Andy Warhol and Marilyn Monroe <laughs> at 126.04? And then when they run outside, it's James Dean at 132.06. Oh, oh shit. I didn't, I didn't even catch the, the. Oh, I didn't even catch the James Dean one. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Just so fun. And then I was like, I should go back and like do some spotting because it's it's really fun. I love those touches. And I was bizarrely excited when I was like, that's James Dean. <laughs> I'm not that old. It's 2022. I don't understand. But I was just like, I get that reference. <laughs> it's also kind of like interesting that, that they would have put him in there, too, because his death is also kind of like the the plot for how helen wanted to kill madeline is like in, in a if to oh, fake a car crash point. Yeah. oh my gosh yeah so it's kind of like that's what hollywood does they just fake car crashes but they're actually oh still alive God. yeah that's fun i really mm-hmm. like that in a very morbid sense yeah <laughs> 
I mean, this whole movie is fun, morbid. Mm-hmm. Morbidly fun. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Like I it's it's like Beetlejuice in that way. All right. Do you have any other funny that you want to talk about? Not funny. I was just going to say for like the scariest parts. Uh, I know we kind of talked about uh, Meryl Streep like contorting in the background. Oh, genuinely oh. terrifying. And yeah. I also just had like this awful sense of dread with Bruce Willis being stuck and like running around the mansion at the end. Oh, yeah. And especially when he sees like the giant group of people, I was like, fuck. Like, I just kept thinking about like society and like, I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if there's like a shunting going on here. <laughs> like, it was, <laughs> it was, I was like, I'm, like, you know, we're having fun, we're having giggles and everything, but I'm like, fuck, I'm like freaking out right now. I would hate to be in this city. I'm like, the whole time I was thinking of like how to get out of this house, like where to go and everything. Yeah, and, it's actually really scary. And when he went up on the elevator, I was like, oh, dude, fucked no. up. He needs to go down. No. And then, well, even then I was like, okay, there's a bunch of doors. You have this hallway. Why are you on the roof trying to climb? Th- this never works. Have you seen a movie? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen a movie? Yeah. I, it it also speaking of like references I don't know if it's intentional because it's like the same era but it reminded me of the end of so I married an axe murderer because mm. that also ends on the roof of a hotel oh okay another great comedy horror that we should watch it kind of like it it did make me think though of like the cause Robert Zemeckis doing like back to the future part two like that giant like hotel that like Biff Tannen has and it kind of made me think of that. Like, like you know, they're like doing stuff up in the penthouse and everything. Yeah, maybe that's a theme. Maybe. Uh, he, he loves to do like these really like fun, I don't want to say fun, but he loves to like kind of do like these really slow pans, kind of like showing like a very messy room and you hear stuff going on in the background, but you don't know what it is until you see it. And, like here, as <laughs> we get that scene in Back to the Future, we get that like with Doc like working on shit and you just see his house is a disaster. Mm-hmm. And then here uh, we see like he just slowly pans. You just see this room filled with like paint buckets and canvases yeah. and stuff. And then it's just Bruce Willis literally painting uh, Meryl Streep. <laughs> but it's not organized. It's like messy and there's oh, it's very messy. over and mm-hmm. it's like chaos. Yeah. yeah he's also, not an artist. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But so I kind of just love that we still like got like his staples. Like we're going to like these slow pans showing a very messy room. And some like background dialogue, but you don't know the context yet until like you actually see what's going on. It's great. Yeah. I I wanted to see more when he's running around the castle. Just like selfishly, I wanted to know like what else is up there. All Who the else rooms. is up there? Um and were you surprised that he died? That like mm, the movie let him die? Not really. I'm surprised they let him die quote peacefully. With like letting him to kind of like live, live out his life for another was it thirty four thirty seven years, and yeah. he has lots of children and he made such an impact on the world and everything for for the better. So I get, okay, you are right. He did have like a true arc. <laughs> in he really this. did. Like he changed as a person. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, he did. <laughs> so I was kind of surprised that they let him have a life and die peacefully, and mm-hmm. I was more surprised that like he just didn't die like in a violent act or like literally falling off the castle yeah it's an interesting choice to have Mm -hmm. him like reject it get away which usually doesn't happen and then have like decades of a whole second life which is kind of what our main lady's 
wanted slash thought they were getting and it's like they're living this perverted version of it yeah no do you want to kind of get into like the messaging of this a little bit because it feels like we're kind of getting into that territory somewhat oh yeah i just i think that um the end of uh Ernest's life is such a stark contrast to the way in which uh, Madeline and Helen end up like living the rest of their life. Like they've clearly just been still in this like loop with each other, obsessed, not going outside themselves, not building community, not having families, not like living. And then at Ernest's funeral, when everyone is like, he was amazing. You see all the different people in the pews and it's like a lot of people and um, there's like women with babies and you're just like, oh my gosh. And then our assholes in the back start laughing and <laughs> yeah, they're just like, you two have learned nothing about living. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's very much like his, the, the movie, cause they kind of getting back a little bit too. Cause like kind of like my sort of like interpretation or whatever, it's kind of like tying into what you were just saying, but kind of going back to how I found it interesting that there was some of these like christianity um iconography in this and everything mm-hmm. and how it seems very much that like the not so much like like heaven and hell like as literal places but like the people that you like surround yourself with yeah and kind of like how he found his happiness or whatever and you know he he surrounded himself by like people that loved him and everything and got to die peacefully but uh helen and uh, Madeline are very much like tormenting each other yeah. for eternity based on their choices. And I also found it very interesting that everyone's names kind of play into what their fates sort of were. And you know, so like, cause like Madeline and Helen, they call each other mad in hell. Like those are their pet names for each other. Mad and, in hell. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They hate each other. <laughs> yes. And then like Ernest, you know, just like, his name is Ernest. You know, he, he's he's genuine about about his intentions, uh, right. supposedly. Um, I also found it interesting that his last name is Menville, and how the it's really like the women in this movie are tormented, but men somehow find a way out of it. I found that like really weird messaging. But interesting. The going back to them t- being tormenting each other for eternity, and the visual story that's being told of this, all like the imagery, because you talked about like you seeing guns everywhere in the background. I actually didn't notice that. I only saw that like in a few scenes. What I was hmm. so um, obsessed with is that there are mirrors everywhere oh, yeah. in this movie. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there's, I mean, even the book that Helen publishes has a mirror on the cover. There's mm-hmm. mirrors everywhere, um, especially in the castle. There's even mirrors on the tables. Um, there's, there's just mirrors everywhere, but it's only like the women that we even see really use mirrors or have reflections in them and there's only one time where bruce willis's character like we the audience see his reflection in a mirror in a very purposeful way and it's when he's breaking up with helen or not breaking up with helen's when helen's like you know this is the the madeline test like you're gonna have dinner with her at the beginning of the movie and as he's talking to her when she's sitting on the couch there's a mirror behind her and you can see his face uh speaking and it felt like like it wasn't even so important to get his um, emotions and attentions and everything. So like this was all like affecting her, and 
so just getting to all this, like the mirrors, there's obviously the, the message of vanity. And also in the Broadway play, there's mirrors all over part of that production design. But besides mirrors being part of like the whole mm. vanity thing, at the end of the movie, um, there's no more mirrors. Be- and they talk about how they're just going to paint each other, paint each other's asses and everything. And they're both chipping and everything. Yeah. There are now just mirrors for each other. And uh, so they kind of no longer need that. They are just they now reflect each other and that they're both sort of not pure of hearts anymore. And that was kind of like something I was thinking about a lot too, besides physically they look the same, but also like script wise, they're both the villain. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, So Um, I found all that stuff with mirrors to be super interesting in this. Oh, so if we want to like really spin this thread, that's really good. And it made me think of how Ernest falls through essentially a giant mirror into water, which is somewhat like a baptism, perhaps. And then he leads a new life. Oh, that's a, that's a really good point, too. Yeah, yeah. That's like other great kind of like visual storytelling into that because he has to fall through the glass and then, in, and then into the, the, the pure cleansing water. Yeah. Right. Oh, this movie is so clever. I love it. <laughs> and that's another thing, too, that they talk about how like they now have to be um, adverse of water because it'll make the paint run off. So they can't like go through this baptism themselves. Like, like yeah, isn't that interesting? Literally. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, this yeah. is kind of a I don't know script. if all of that was intentional, but... I think it was. It is. Yeah. I, I, think, I think it was, too, especially because the... The imagery of like, um, it's like God reaching out to is it Abraham? somebody. I don't know. Uh, I can't remember, but everybody knows it. It was parodied in Arrested Development. Like everybody knows this painting. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's something about creation. And so I think Ernest falling through like the image of creation into the pool has to be something important. Oh, it's him reaching out to Adam, the, right? the creation so it's of like Adam. The beginning of okay, so mm-hmm. he falls through a mirror of the creation of Adam into a pool. <laughs> <laughs> but then feels Bruce, intentional. <laughs> it does, and Bruce Willis goes and lives a life of having several kids and adopting several kids of, of like all over the world. Yeah, and service. He travels. Yeah, he travels the world. He helps people. Really interesting. Yeah, it's in kind of also just play more into the Christianity stuff and everything. When Helen, who could you could arguably say that Helen is the more evil villain because she actually wants to commit murder. Um, she's mm. donned in red so much, and you very well parallel that to the devil. Um, oh, that's interesting. Hell, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Her name's Hell, yeah. I. Yeah, actually, as we're talking about this, I'm now wondering, like... It was demons all along. (laughs) (laughs) I'm actually going to say, like, is is anti-aging a trick mirror that we're looking at? Oh. Is it not really about anti-aging and beauty at all? could Could you elaborate on that a little bit? So, in talking about this, I don't think Helen is obsessed with beauty or aging or cares about how amazing she looks. Like you were saying, she doesn't care about the book. But going deeper, she doesn't care about being beautiful either. It's just a tool for her to use to get back at Mad. Like, everything in her life 
is just about Madeline in a way that it's like, Madeline might be the only character in this movie that actually cares about staying young. Yeah, I I think you're right, too. (laughs) I mean, because it was very much, that's kind of like my thought about all this, that it was very much her vendetta and how Madeline always stole her boys and boyfriends and fiance and everything. And, but I do like that we kind of get this reveal to how uh, Helen always made Madeline feel belittled, but like she always felt like she was trash compared to her family or whatever. Oh, yeah, I wish that we, of them are good friends. I wish that we explored that a little bit more, but um, yeah, I agree. Cause it, I like how they don't give us a clear starting point where like one person did something so bad that you can side with either of them. You're mm-hmm. constantly like, you are both terrible. Which We're both ooh, villains. Ooh, going back to subgenre, one thing we didn't say, this is a revenge movie. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, absolutely. Huge revenge story that like you can get distracted from by all the focus on beauty. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely revenge. Uh, I like that a lot. Uh, it almost makes me think, now you got me thinking like now all these people like monster demons too. So I guess like, <laughs> I guess you're right. It, I'm now like picturing that meme of like those two astronauts look, looking at the planet. One of them was like, there's always been, there's like, whoa, the world's full of demons and you're just behind me with a gun. Always has been. <laughs> just- <laughs> I mean... I don't know if that's just like part of modern horror is we've talked about this before. I feel like we're immersed in like Christian horror in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Like it it infuses so much of our horror that it makes sense that I'm like, oh, that person's a demon. Because even if not literally, like the behavior are things we've come to associate with like someone in a horror movie who's a demon. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like it just, it, it is somewhat shorthand now i'm glad at how much we were able to like uh play with and like with like the messaging of this movie because it does feel like that there is like a lot of stuff there in the text of, of the movie both visually and like in the dialogue and everything that happens uh, this was this was like really fun to kind of like pick apart in in a very fun de- deconstructive way of like figuring out what what could be possibly some like the the, the underlying messages in this that, that was a lot of fun actually i was yeah. surprised i was surprised <laughs> that we got that much out of it because going the, going into it i was like i don't know what we're going to get out of a comedy but there's a lot <laughs> i am obsessed with horror comedies i they're when they're good they're so good such a good blend of both like this like when they're bad they're just unwatchably bad cuz then it's not funny and it's not creepy and it's not scary but like yeah. this is funny and scary on multiple levels. Yeah. And you don't have to watch it in like an existential way. You can just watch it for fun and it is, but if you want to get deeper, you can. Mhm. And I recommend people doing the viewing style I've done uh watching it early in the morning with a cup of coffee. Honestly, it was <laughs> a very pleasant way to start my day. It does make me think, um, and this is going back to the subgenre stuff about how I mentioned how it just feels like Frankenstein and Reanimator. But I was going to mm-hmm. ask, in the parallel to Frankenstein, who is Doctor Frankenstein in this? Like, who is actually creating the monsters, or are they creating their own monsters? Like, are they creating themselves? 
Yeah, I if we see the Dr. Frankenstein as more of an enabler, it's Isabella Rossellini. Okay. Because she gives them the tools necessary to like prolong and deepen this enemy's thing and like this battle that now they can wage forever theoretically. Um, but I don't but same as like Dr. Frankenstein doesn't theoretically go into it with like I'm going to make a monster. True. Yeah, he doesn't go to it thinking he can make that he will make a monster, but he is, you know, the 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 kind of like the villain of it, sort of too. But, sort of. Yeah. But that's why I I'd say like it's Isabella because she, not a direct villain, more of like an enabler of being able to do different things. She's she like, like a, a wizard. Is she like evil neutral or like chaotic neutral? I'd say chaotic neutral because one of the things I wrote down is before we know that Helen has had the potion, when she comes over to the house, you can see the pin on her dress in like the the soft um, framing of the shot. Mm -hmm. They very clearly linger, but it's out of focus. So like the focus is on Ernest but we're, her dress is in the corner and you see the pin and you're like, oh, Helen, what have you been doing? Because like Isabella Rossellini probably didn't approach um, poor, out of work, overweight Helen who wasn't famous. And so then you're like, Helen, what did you do to get here? How did you find this stuff? Like, I don't know. There's an intriguing story there. That's a good point too. And just going off of the the the, the pendant a little bit or the pen, um, mm-hmm. did it? Did that the, the kind of like the the logo and the shape of it? Because it, did it look a lot like the same logo that was on the playbill um, for the the songbird Broadway show at the beginning of the movie? It looked a lot like that. I don't know. That was like purposeful. Oh, I didn't actually connect those. Let's see. Can we see it on? Oh my gosh, you're right. It does look like that. So I'm trying to figure out if it's like, again, going back to like a form of religion, kind of like this like fatalistic, like uh, predestiny sort of thing that like their fates were like always sealed to be like this. Oh, I I was thinking it more means that, like, this cult runs Hollywood. That, 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 are, that's another way to look at it. everywhere. Um, yeah, because, yeah, like, they're not just catch. in Hollywood. They're also in New York. They're on both coasts. Oh, they're everywhere. They're in publishing. They're in Hollywood. I mean, <laughs> it does perfectly feed into this, like, there is an elite group of people who have lived forever, and they make weird decisions. And maybe it affects our lives. Yeah. Is it are is this turning into an Illuminati podcast? <laughs> <laughs> is is yeah, like secret cult society is definitely like what this movie is. Um, I mean, I do I love that stuff. I love revenge stories. I I love to hate body horror or hate to love, I'm not sure. Um so like I don't know, I feel like this hits all of my different things. Like, oh, I forgot one reference. The opening scene of Songbird, like when we're coming into this like gothic New York and it's like raining and dark 
and then we come into the show and Meryl Streep is performing, I was like, is this Temple of Doom opening? Oh, it's it's like a bad Temple One of Doom of my opening. Very favorite movie openings like ever is the Temple of Doom show. Um, yeah, the, the old the musical Chinese number. Club. Yeah, and it reminded me of that until like that one goes a different direction. But like when this one zooms out into the theater, you're like, oh, this is a very different vibe. Mm-hmm. But it was just an interesting kind of like. It felt the same, but then they took it in a very different direction. Yeah, and uh, like playing into like the mirrors thing again too, because there's so many mirrors in that actual set design. She's looking at herself so mm. much in there. It's almost like she doesn't even realize that people are leaving the show that she's actually bad at this. Well, so I wonder about that too. Like she's getting kicked out of the Songbird show. It has the symbol for the youth cult. Like, of course she's getting kicked out. Or like mm. maybe there's. Here's what I love about this. It it can be watched as a fun, simple movie, but there's obviously enough depth like dropped into the script at places to be like, oh, there's like seven different stories here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That we don't get. And that I feel like is a sign of a really good story when it's like, oh, they clearly have done some world building or some thinking outside mm-hmm. of what they're showing us. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think that there's so much like intentional visual storytelling in this. Like we've we've been able to talk a lot about that in this. Yeah, I mean, did you ever think we'd talk this long about a 1992 horror comedy? Straight up, I thought that this episode would be like 50 <laughs> minutes max and here we are at like the 82 minute mark. Um, you didn't I I mean, I think I think this podcast is going to be an interesting exploration of both of us, like exposing each other to the type of horror that we come from. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a really good example. Like, I like how neither of us had seen Jennifer's body because that we can kind of talk about how that is like a successor to this movie in a number of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With the whole like female friendship stuff, too. And the body stuff, the like her skin coming apart when she's like, oh, yeah, um, when she hasn't feasted on, yeah. on blood. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right? On young, young teen male blood. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, well, do you want to move on to the Cabin in the Woods trinket segment before closing out today? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay, so for the Cabin in the Woods trinket segment, we will think of good movie props or items from Death Becomes Her that we put in the basement of the Cabin in the Woods to summon the villains from this movie. Um, there are several choices, I believe. Um, there's that little pin that we just talked about uh, that oh, can definitely I go mean, down there. My number one is one of the necklace shirts, necklace tops that Isabella Rossellini wears. Like, yes, I don't, I don't know if it's partly because I saw it so young that I was just like, I think that's what sexy is. You know, like <laughs> I think in my young brain was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah. And it's like burned into my brain, her like necklace tops. Mm-hmm. I would definitely pick one of those. Absolutely. It's also such a flex of like, it's- I'm so rich. I make my jewelry, my clothing. My body is so perfect. Yeah. My body is so perfect. I can show 80% of it. And also, like, I play with danger. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I like that a lot. Um, I had a mirror, uh, just because mm-hmm. of all like, the stuff that we talked about with mirrors in this, um, uh, have it, having one of those down there. Yeah, I think there's one from her vanity in Songbird. But there's like no mirror in it. Like she sees straight through it into the audience. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I meant backstage in her dressing room. Oh, oh, backstage when she's getting ready. Yes. Yeah, there's probably good stuff there. Also, the playbill is a good one. Um, some of that stained glass. Obvious, the, the tonic potion and like the, the egg the that dagger. it's in. Yeah. The oh, the dagger's cool. Dagger that she like slips into her hips wrong and then pulls yeah. out. I just, oh, I don't know. I, I love it. <laughs> every, every touch. I'm just like, that's great. It's perfect. <laughs> um, I had also like a can of spray paint to put down there. Oh, very good. And you could even have like nude colored or something like flesh, um, like pale flesh tone. Maybe it just says like Madeline on there. <gasps> That's so good. Oh, my God. Because, you know, if Ernest had stayed with them, he would start mixing like their colors. Oh my god, yes. It's like the shade is Madeline, but it's by like it's by Menville's paint or whatever. <laughs> oh my god, that's a fun like alternate route where he doesn't learn and he like gives up and just stays with them and creates like a mortuary paint line. <laughs> <laughs> it's also just made me think of like this could be a very easy Halloween costume to dress like Bruce Willis. So just get like a very dirty kiss the chef apron and just walk around with a paint can. And the glasses. He and the glasses. glasses. And the mustache. But yeah. yeah. That's, I love how he kept wearing the apron and it just kept getting like dirtier and messier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as it's great. things happened. It's, it's so lovely. I love it. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know if there's anything else I could say about this one. I just end to end. I love it. Mm-hmm. Everyone should watch it. Yeah, 100%. I definitely think people should watch this. It, it's a good uh, palate cleanse too because of like how fun it is and everything and i was I, I texted you i think it was this week i can't remember but i watched and got broken by that movie speak no evil and i was like yeah. all right i need to like <laughs> that movie <laughs> broke me and if people have seen that you know what i'm talking about and if you haven't oh, no. seen it i just tread carefully but uh <laughs> this was a great palate cleanse and made me feel so much better about myself um <laughs> awesome <laughs> So funny to say that since we've talked about how like this basically ends in purgatory for our main character. It's it's all about tone. It's all about tone. It's done in a comedic way. And again, they followed they fall down the stairs outside the church and they fall down forever. And it's so funny. It's so funny. And then they explode, which is so funny. Uh, well, I don't think I have too much more to say about Death Becomes Her from 1992. Um, thank you, Orlene, for suggesting this. This was uh, a lot of fun to to dive right into. As I said, I watched it first thing this morning for the first time and had my takes ready to go. This was a lot of fun to, to deconstruct this. Yeah, make it part of your Halloween rotation. Thank you again. I really enjoyed this. And for folks that are wondering, we're also going to be recording an episode for the patreon going through a very different genre of horror we're talking about barbarian over there and this is going to be a fun experimental uh episode uh orlean has not seen it i have seen it twice and i am going to be recounting the tale of 
barbarian to her and i'm excited for your takes and i'm just excited to see like when and how many times you would have tapped out of the movie as i'm already scared i'm already scared i i have not watched trailers i haven't read anything about this movie like i'm going in in the dark but uh, it's still gonna be a lot of fun so if people want to hear us talk about barbarian and a few other things too head over to patreon.com slash brooker horror there are links in the show notes i want to thank the patrons that we have thank you tiffany jasher james and cleveland you guys are awesome and i also want to direct people to go check out horrorpress horrorpress.com they are an amazing partner in the website there is a, a spoiler free review of the movie megan on there right now if you want to go check that out and Orlean, where can people find you on the interwebs you can always come talk to me about comedy and horror and both at spooky Orlean on instagram and twitter you can listen to my podcast uh spooky and strange where i talk about weird books and stuff weird books and stuff man yeah i like that <laughs> and uh if people want to you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Brucker Horror. Likewise, just uh, tweet it. I, I want to send a little message. Uh, let's do send us tweet at Brucker Horror. No context gif of your favorite scene from from this movie. Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Oh yes, please. Let's geek out about Death Becomes Her. And if anyone out there is really good at making gifts, can you make more of this movie? I don't know how, <laughs> but we need more. We do, we do. There's a really awesome one of, of Meryl Streep reloading the gun after she oh shoots Madeline. It's or Helen. It's great. Um, but uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Please be sure to share with friends, with family, and we will see you all next time. Be sure to watch good movies. Goodbye. Bye.